Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome. This is episode 90. This is Daniel. Don't forget to turn up the speed on the podcast if you haven't already done that. And um, I just ate two bowls of crunch berries, so I hate myself. And we're going to start with InfoSec news. So the largest governmental data leak ever has just been uncovered in Sweden. Evidently, the data was transferred to, air quote, the cloud some time ago, maybe last year or something like that. It was uh, supposedly managed by IBM, but it included just tons of sensitive data, like police records, like anyone who'd been processed by police, names, addresses, and photos of like Air Force pilots, their special forces units, like the equivalent of their SEALs, people in the witness relocation program, basically anyone who is trying to, you know, stay secret. They also had a bunch of data on military vehicles, like all the different damage to different vehicles. So it's like, you could just read this and figure out so much about what they were trying to keep secret, their military, stuff like that. Um, the motive, or not the motive, but the, the way that it happened appears to be incompetence. And uh, the person who was responsible for protecting the stuff was evidently given the harshest sentence ever, which was docked. She was docked half a month's pay, which in Sweden is evidently a bad thing. This is likely to add momentum to the trend of pulling data out of the cloud and bringing it back into people's own data centers. The FBI has arrested Yu Pingan on charges related to the hacking of OPM. China's government is now requiring that you use your real identity to make comments online, which is effectively eliminating anonymity in the Chinese internet. Barclays mobile banking app now lets you pay with Siri. I think we can expect voice interfaces to become quite a significant attack surface in coming years. And the ability to send payments will definitely be one of those things that will get tested. The U.S. has a massive surveillance spy hub in the middle of Australia, which I think people have known about this for quite some time. This is a pretty cool article about it. One-fourth of the president's cybersecurity panel has just resigned in moral protest. Gartner says information security spending will hit $93 billion in 2018 and exceed $1 trillion over the next five years. CrashPlan is getting out of consumer backup services. They're focusing now on enterprise and education customers. 
And it's still a bad idea to allow access to your boarding passes. Brian Krebs did a cool article on this, uh, basically re-highlighting the fact that the uh, codes that are on the, on the tickets actually have a lot of data about you in them, including like your account numbers. So you don't want to leave those lying around. I don't do paper ones anymore. I doubt anyone listening to this does much paper anymore. But uh, if you see someone who is doing that, let them know they need to uh, tear up or shred or whatever to get rid of those things. Technology news. Google has announced the next release of Android and they're calling it Oreo. Not much conversation around security in the release, at least from the features that I saw. The problem for mobile app developers and the app industry as a whole is that 66% of consumers evidently download zero apps per month. That's Z-E-R-O, zero. So basically, if you want to be a successful app developer at this point, you either need to be so awesome that you're creating a new app space altogether, or so awesome that you're basically knocking out the app that everyone is already using in that existing space. And both of these are really hard. Would not want to be an app developer trying to make a living off of that. Medium is experimenting with paying writers based on how much people like their work. They've got this new icon, basically. I'm sure a bunch of people have seen it. It's like a hands clapping. You click it and it's like giving applause. And uh, they basically have a, a private part of their site where they're um, paying people based on how much applause they get. Interesting model. Um, I like it better than ads, but I, I'm just not a huge fan of Medium. I think I said on Twitter earlier this week that it reminds me of a very clean, pristine, never been shopped in before Walmart because everything looks perfect and everything looks the same, but it just doesn't have a soul for that same reason. iOS 11 is going to strip AMP content from links automatically. So you don't get basically this issue of being on Google and being, you're actually not reading from the site. Google is getting all the traffic. And basically uh, Apple doesn't like that and is going to strip the AMP stuff and give you the actual link to the actual source material, which I really like. Amazon is significantly lowering the prices at Whole Foods starting Monday. Shonen is launching a personal body cam on Kickstarter. I think we're getting close to the reality I described in my life casting post from 2008, where a lot of people will be permanently broadcasting. And uh, there will be basically a whole backend environment that's parsing this stuff, looking for fights, crashes, arguments, romance, whatever. And uh, that'll basically become an industry in and of itself. Y Combinator is making a significant pivot into the B2B space with its current round of investments. This article here in the show notes is, uh, it's got a pretty cool breakdown of all the different companies that they sponsored, including the names of the companies and what 
sort of industry that they're in. Definitely worth a read. Human news. We now have a significant photo of the red giant star Antares. I've always loved this particular star. It's, it's the neck of Scorpio. And you could tell it's red. It's so obviously red. Uh, I just love the star. It's so massive. If, if it was actually placed in our solar system, its outer edge would end between Mars and Jupiter. It's that massive. And basically this image is, uh, it's two-dimensional. It's actually got some nuance inside of the image. You can see more orange and more yellow. Um, well, it's a red star, but you, you see splotches that are darker and lighter. And it's so clearly a picture of uh, something two-dimensional as opposed to just being a dot, which is how we have most pictures of stars other than our own. Scientists have identified 22 genes associated with intelligence. Maine's statewide laptop program appears to have been an absolute, complete failure in terms of raising test scores. One in three Americans have nothing saved for retirement, and almost 60% have less than 10,000 saved for retirement. Gut microbes may talk to the brain through cortisol. So we've been basically looking for what the mechanism is for the gut biome to interact with the brain. And it looks like, according to this uh, piece of research, looks like it could be potentially cortisol, or, or at least that could be part of the answer. It seems listening to certain sounds throughout the night while sleeping can help your memory. It's called Pink Noise. I actually just downloaded a track to check it out. Got a link here of our broken economy in one simple chart. Pretty, pretty riveting stuff. New York Times is so good at uh, visualizations. A study has shown that teenagers with fewer good friends rather than lots of looser friends are more likely to be happy later in life. And uh, get ready for season four of Black Mirror. Put that in the human news section because it's, uh, it's usually about how technology can go wrong in terms of its impact with humanity. Ideas. The false dichotomy of conflicting ideas. This is something I've been thinking about for years and years, and I finally just realized I could turn it into a post and uh, wrote a quick essay about it earlier today. And it's about how a lot of people want to believe that it's either their position or the opposing person's position. And it's basically like a one or a zero. And maybe they might even be open to switching to the one if they currently believe the zero. But my point about this is that most complex issues are not a one or a zero. They're actually, you know, a wide range of truths. So basically you have multiple positions in almost every position. Maybe not some that we've seen recently, but almost every position probably has some attribution to play 
in, uh, in the truth of whatever that matter is. And I think it's more healthy to think less about, you know, this or that, but rather it's probably nine different things that are accounting for this. And, and what are the percentages of how much those different things account for the current situation? So this is a essay about that. If obscurity weren't a valid security layer, nobody would be doing OPSEC. This is, um, I, I added an additional section to my security by obscurity post, which I did years ago. But here I added an extra section about OPSEC, which if you haven't already heard my argument, maybe you already have and you already agree with it, but here's just an additional component. People say that you should never hide what you're doing because if you're hiding what you're doing, then that's security by obscurity. But it's absolutely ridiculous to take this position. And the best way to think about this, one is camouflage, right? You can have a perfectly armored tank, which is perfectly defended, perfectly armored. You know, it, it has the best security possible but they still paint it the color of its surroundings. And the fact that it's painted the same color as its surroundings doesn't make it more vulnerable. It actually makes it less likely to hit, right? But an even better example of this is when the president travels, especially like in helicopters and stuff, you often have two or three helicopters or four, or I've seen even more because you don't want the enemy to know which helicopter that you're in, right? That the VIP is in. So that is hiding information. That is OPSEC. And it's also security because ultimately what you're doing is you're lowering the probability of a successful attack occurring. And that lower probability means lower risk, right? Because risk can be construed as, you know, probability times impact. So you lower the probability of a successful attack, you lower your risk, you increase security. Now, this is not even like debatable. This is just common sense, right? Why do you encrypt your communications, right? Because you don't want people knowing what you're doing. And I'm talking about military sort of logistic planning type stuff. Why do security people recommend that VIPs change their, um, their travel habits and don't go the same way, uh, you know, at the same time in a predictable way. It's because you're controlling information. So anyone who pushes back on obscurity and basically says that if you try to hide any information, then you are committing an error against security and you're actually lowering your security and it's security by obscurity. They're just very confused between that and the world of, you know, hiding algorithms within the cryptographic context. And they're confused and they're basically just regurgitating something they heard from someone else. And, uh, you know, think through the concepts yourself because uh, they, they really don't understand what's going on. All right, so next one, there's some confusion about the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning. I hear people get this confused quite a bit, so I wanna give just a quick summary. 
So artificial intelligence is basically an attempt to create like a human-like agent which is able to detect its environment and is able to try to achieve a set of goals. That's AI. That's the broad umbrella of AI. Machine learning is a subdomain of AI, and it deals with teaching computers to learn from data rather than needing to be reprogrammed, right? So they can learn by themselves without explicit reprogramming. That's machine learning. And AI is when you have two things. One, learning from an environment and trying to achieve goals. And if you continue on that, a couple of other important terms within AI. Weak AI is AI that can kind of only do one thing. So it's like specific AI. And then there's another term called strong AI or general AI, which is the, you know, science fiction type kind that we don't yet have and could take some quite some time to approach where it can basically do anything a human can do, but as good as a human or better. Another idea here, uh, we should send our key politicians to space so they can experience what's called the overview effect. So basically there's an effect that a lot of people report when you are in some sort of craft in orbit and you look down and you see the earth and you see this, this marble, this, this blue sphere, and you see the lack of borders, <clears throat> you know, the, the lack of distinction between anything on the planet. And it just, it, evidently it creates this massive feeling of unity, which seems obvious that it would create that. That's why I would love to do it. But, um, I, I've always thought it would be great to take um, anyone with decision-making power and put them up in this in this vehicle and have them look down and be like, well, I guess I'm an idiot for trying to whatever, please lobby us, and I need to try and fix the world. So I love this uh, this article about that point. It seems that if a show is popular enough, like Game of Thrones, then piracy of that content is not a major threat. So a number of leaks have hit Game of Thrones this season, but they seem to have had very little or even an averse effect on viewership, meaning the opposite of what the attacker would have wanted. Uh, so basically, I think there was an actual leak from, from the... HBO itself. I think uh, in Spain, they played a, <laughs> the wrong episode. They played an episode that was a week early. Um, yeah. Oops. I think it was like episode seven played on week six or, or something like that. But um, so that was them. They did that on accident. And then there was uh, the ransom. They said, you know, if you don't pay this and they didn't pay it and then they released it, but nobody cared. Because if you're so into the show, you want to watch it when other people watch it. You, you want it to be an event. You want it to be an experience. It's not about ownership. It's not about I own this file. It's about I want to experience the fun of watching the show. And that distinction is evidently really going to hamper, you know, ransom-like uh, leverage against a company. So interesting dynamic there with, with risk and uh, impact. 
got a uh, interesting female perspective here from PBS on the STEM gender gap being overblown. Uh, I just read it just a couple of minutes ago. It was, it was uh, good. It was interesting. It's evidently possible to improve how much you like a song. This thing is fascinating. Okay, this is just crazy. It's possible to improve how much you like a song by adding FOMO. Uh, FOMO means fear of missing out to the track. So basically people have been taking, you know, popular songs, popular tracks, and have been adding muffling to the song so that it sounds like it's coming from the next door or a couple doors down or whatever, or across the street at some big house party or whatever. And it's kind of making you just like the song more. And I sort of instantly think I figured this out, right? I, I, I find it fascinating because it's clearly like a grass is greener type situation. I, I think the effect should be strongest for like party songs where it's mo most clearly communicating that someone is having fun, but it isn't you, right? So, so basically it's like, if it's a party type song, I, I can't think of any right now, like, I don't know, some Green Day song or something. It's like you instantly imagine lots of people having fun. And because you're at your house and you're not there, you weren't invited. Like you're not supposed to be there. So you're just imagining the, the, the most perfect example of people, you know, in their prime, their friends are around, there's alcohol, you know, there's everyone smiling, everyone's dancing or whatever. And you're doing whatever you're doing, you know, probably watching, you know, some dumb show on TV. And um, whatever it is, it's not at that party. So you could just take any song. And what's really interesting is you can have that same song locally, right? And you play it and, and it sounds fine. Some party song, some Green Day song. It doesn't sound fun because it's your song. You have it. It's happening here. It's happening right in front of you. And because it's happening to you, it's not nearly as interesting as if it's happening to someone else because something else far away is always better than something that you have because you're worthless. That's really what FOMO comes down to, I think. So really interesting sort of finding. And got a cool argument here that most people are using Git quite incorrectly and how it should be used instead. Yeah, I'm not done reading this, but essentially the argument is that everyone's using Git like it's a centralized code repository, like a CMS, instead of a distributed code repository where you do your own things and you share code and code snippets, and then you bring it in later on. And most people are, are sharing like these giant monolithic branches and treating it like a centralized system. And this person is like, yeah, stop that. Discovery. Corporations are trying hard to do for your job what they've already done for tomato sorting. And this was just uh, some video I saw, I think earlier today on Twitter of a machine sorting tomatoes. And it is frightening. Like, it is scary how good this thing is. 
Now it is just sorting tomatoes. So, you know, not a lot of people have that job, but <clears throat> just think of it this way. Every corporation that you know of would love to use this machine on all jobs. That would make them very happy. Um, they're trying. It hasn't happened yet, but it doesn't mean they're not trying. So just keep that in mind. Dungeons and Dragons now has an official digital platform for managing tabletop games. I don't play Dungeons and Dragons. I play tabletop games, but uh, we use custom systems. So I'm not super excited about the D&D &D thing, but I'm excited that they have an official digital platform for tabletop games. So you can roll characters. I, I'm not sure what all you could do, but definitely character generation, which could be time consuming. So this is pretty cool. A Redditor put 1.8 petabytes of porn on Amazon just to see if unlimited, air quotes unlimited, really was unlimited. Turns out it wasn't, and his account was shut down. And in maybe unrelated news, Amazon also shortly after killed off its unlimited data storage service. So um, good job to him, or bad job to him, not sure. Got an article here on how to practice a programming language. Got an article here about a company. Oh, this is crazy. A company will take an idea. You just give them any idea and they will build a prototype for that idea for 20 grand. I think that's pretty ingenious. A humorous list of 10 things that will make you appear smart in a meeting. This is crazy. <laughs> I thought it was serious at first. I was going to put it in here as a serious one. I left it in here as, as kind of just a source of humor, but um, it was like things like um, draw a Venn diagram, um, ask a person to go back one slide. <laughs> it was just a whole bunch of things that actually happen in meetings that do kind of make people seem smart, but they're also kind of dumb. Got a massive list here of free computer science courses. Really well put together list. Reverse engineering the art of storytelling. This one is awesome. Uh, basically, how can someone tell a completely stupid story and everyone is riveted versus someone trying to tell this, you know, really great story, but nobody cares because they just can't tell a story well. And basically what this link does is it goes through the set of uh, like really high profile quality people like Ira Glass from like NPR and just lays out what their algorithm is for telling a good story. And it's just like tons of those. So I have that tab open. I'm going to be exploring that. It's very cool stuff. And a few tools here, Network Miner 2.2. Network Miner is a tool that I've absolutely loved for so long. You basically feed it a PCAP and it does a bunch of different analysis on it. It's uh, updated to version 2.2. New features, runs a .NET 4.0. Good stuff. Uh, Volscan, a vulnerability scanning module for NMAP that uses the NSE scripting engine. So basically it parses the uh, switch SV information and matches it to a number of vulnerability databases. Pretty cool like a, a light version of Nessus. And uh, 
This last one is using Shodan and some Golang to do uh, some mass scans of bug bounty targets to find vulnerabilities. Pretty cool stuff. Notes, currently still reading The Fourth Turning, the book about constantly repeating cycles in the United States uh, around population, politics, demographics, generations, most importantly, innovation, stuff like that. It was a crazy cool book. And I'm also starting another book by Gavin DeBecker called The Gift of Fear. It was recommended by Sam Harris on one of his most recent uh, podcast episodes. It's all about like protection. I'm not sure exactly what it's about, but he's basically a, uh, a protection person for famous people, VIPs um, in like LA, Silicon Valley, stuff like that. So he's like executive protection. And he talks a lot about how to defend yourself in different real world situations. So starting that book and uh, recommendation for this week. David Brooks talks about there being two different types of attributes, resume attributes and eulogy attributes. Resume attributes are what give you a good career and eulogy attributes are what make people say nice things about you after you're gone. So the recommendation for the week is don't let your focus on resume attributes distract from working on your eulogy attributes. And the aphorism for this week, there is no excellent beauty that hath not some strangeness in the proportion. There's no excellent beauty that hath not some strangeness in the proportion. Francis Bacon. I'll see you next week. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.